CBS Eye on the World, Hotel Mars, Episode N. I'm John Batchelor. David Livingston, my colleague and co-host and co-pilot on Hotel Mars, we come to a discussion on planet Earth about orbit, about what is called LEO, low Earth orbit, and the future. I am speaking on Starlink right now. It's a miracle. It gives me a backup to the landline for the Internet. There is also there are other projects planned, but I come now to something I did not know existed until an article in the Financial Times out of London. The World Radio Communications Conference held November of 23 in Dubai. The next one is in four years. And at this World Radio Communications Conference were analysts, consultants, and very big companies, Intelsat, Viasat, SES, Hughes Networks, and others. And they collectively said no to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. No, no, no. And they were joined by Brazil, Indonesia, and Japan, also saying no, no, no. Now, who says no to Elon Musk? I welcome Jeff Faust, senior staffer at Space News, our go-to guy on low Earth orbit. Jeff, a very good evening to you. Know what? What was the proposal I can imagine Musk's face when somebody said no to him? Good evening to you. Good evening, John. This is really the latest round in the battle between the incumbent satellite communications operators, the Intelsats of the world, and the newcomers like SpaceX and Amazon. It's the difference between geostationary orbit 22,000 miles up, where communication satellites have usually operated, and these new low-Earth orbit systems like Starlink. And what uh, companies like SpaceX and Amazon were trying to do were to raise the limits on the power that they can generate from their satellites if they radiate down to the Earth um, to provide increased improved service. Um, the geosatellite operators are opposed to that because they are afraid that that will create interference with their own signals. And so what happened at this World Radio Communication Conference, WRC, or WORC as it's sometimes called, uh, was a decision not to change the limits now, but they may revisit it in four years, uh, in 2027, or four years after that in 2031. So this is the first round of a battle, but certainly not the end of this debate. David, you have a question for Jeff. Yes, hi, Jeff. Um, is this more about the big guys, the traditional satellite operators, needing to protect their market share, which is in some cases eroding because they have such a high structure of cost involved in those satellites versus what Starlink has. Uh, Starlink says it has technology to prevent frequency overlap and leaking. Uh, it sounds to me like it might be more about a, an effort to protect market share. What do you think? Well, certainly we're seeing a, a, a gradual shift in the market from the, the conventional geosatellite operators to the LEO operators. Um, but there are still a lot of people that use geostationary satellite services for communications, uh, particularly in, in more de- developing parts of the world. Um, they're not going to go off that infrastructure right away. And so what the geosatellite operators are arguing is that, you know, don't make any rash steps to um, create a situation that would interfere with those existing services, because their argument is that they were there first. Um, they have priority, um, and that the, the LEO satellite operators uh, have the responsibility not to interfere um, with the existing services. The article in the Financial Times points to statements made by the new guys, SpaceX, Kuiper. OneWeb is another company that's uh, launching satellites or intends to as well. 
that the technology has improved in the 25 years since the original protocols were written at the end of the 20th century, and that the resistance is not keeping up to date and therefore is inappropriate. I have no way of judging that. However, it does make sense. There have been a lot of developments in 25 years. There was no 5G, 4G, 3G at the end of the 20th century. Everything was done on desktops and uh, the idea of, of carrying around an iPhone an iPhone and being communicating with Fiji was impossible. So I can guess that there are updates. That sounds like a losing argument. Uh, what do you what do you make of this idea that we like to stand pat? You know, a wagon train is good enough for us. Yeah, certainly if you're in the wagon train business, you want to protect uh, that business against the automobile. Um, so you can understand the, the concerns there with that. And, and so what came out of, of the work um, – at the end of last year was a decision to study the issue um, and revisit it at some point in the future. And I think the LEO satellite operators hope that that will come at the next work in 2027, um, where they may be able to change the rules. I think the geo satellite operators would like to push back that decision even longer. We'll see what happens um, when they reconvene in 2027. But certainly, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is just the first round of a debate that this battle is going to continue uh, in the years to come and will only become more heated as we see uh, Amazon Kuiper and we see Telesat's flight speed and we see other satellite constellations emerge um, that attract business potentially away from some of the geosatellite operators. David? When the industry started, Jeff, it started with a lot of LEO and ground stations and then quickly went to what was more economical, to, to GEO and the Telstar and other stuff went away that was LEO with ground stations. So all of a sudden now the action is LEO with ground stations. What has made this happen? Is it SpaceX lower launches as a CubeSats. Uh, how, how did this change happen again? Well, I think it's really several factors. One of them is it just simply advances in satellite technology and communications that uh, makes it possible to, you know, create uh, dynamic beams of uh, satellite communications from these low-Earth orbit satellites. If you're in geostationary orbit, um, you're in a fixed position relative to the ground. You simply point at the uh, antennas on the ground, and you rarely, if ever, need to uh, change that uh, beam pattern, that orientation. Whereas if you're in low-Earth orbit, just a few hundred miles up, you're constantly making and breaking connections with uh, you know, devices on the ground. That becomes much more complex. But as the technology has evolved, now that becomes uh, more feasible to do. It's relatively straightforward to do now with current technology. And now you can leverage the advantages of being in low Earth orbit. Um, you have much lower latency. The time it takes for a signal to go from the ground to the satellite and back um, is much shorter if you're a few hundred miles up versus 22,000 miles up. And obviously, if you're in a lower orbit, um, you have more power available um, to transmit down to the ground, and you can use a, a smaller antenna or even directly to a cell phone, as some uh, companies are pursuing. Yes, Spacelink is, uh, Starlink is just about to launch the cell phone capability, and I'm going to use it because it means my iPhone doesn't need to, to scan it direct to the satellite. Now, a twist of fate. Beijing has spoken. Brazil said no. Japan said no. They want their own network. They want access. They want to maintain their control of their communication. But Beijing says, one, Starlink is a military and strategic intention, hence pointing to Ukraine. 
two, what we're looking at here, this is Beijing uh, military, that they're using a significant amount of space frequency resources. I can't judge on that, but they're asserting similar to what we saw from work. And three, this is my favorite, Jeff. This document out of Beijing says that Musk could convert his satellites into suicide missions, destroying other communication satellites. This is fantastic, but it does suggest that we've got a space race going on. Is this new space race, or has this been building for some time? You know, it's been building for the last several years, but I think what China in particular is noting um, is the the role Starlink has played um, in the Ukraine conflict and how Ukraine has leveraged Starlink um, to provide satellite communications in areas where terrestrial communications or even other conventional satellite communications um, just weren't possible. And so people are, are sitting up and taking notice of the capabilities of a constellation like Starlink that can be used not just for commercial applications, but also for government, for military applications. China is pursuing its own uh, large satellite constellations. They're looking at a system of about 13,000 satellites that would provide broadband capability like what Starlink and Kuiper and other systems will perform. Uh, and certainly they are thinking uh, about how to counter the capabilities that Starlink can provide in the event of a conflict, which is difficult to do. When you have thousands of satellites, you simply can't shoot a few out of the sky and really affect the system. Uh, it comes down to issues of cyber attacks and jamming and other means to try and interfere with those systems. Um, as for using Starlink satellites as weapons, I, I would think that the uh, Chinese author has a very active imagination because I'm not aware of anyone really seriously considering uh, Starlink satellites becoming uh, weapons. They're, they are maneuverable, but they're not so maneuverable that they can um, move across many different orbits to attack a, another satellite. Jeff Faust is a senior staffer at the Space News, following Space News, but space business as well. That's what we're looking at here. Starlink is now part of a conversation that will continue over the next four years. I recommend it highly to anyone in rural America or a semi-rural America, it works. It's great. The speed is perfect when it's not overloaded. And it gives me the confidence that if the power goes down, I will still be connected if I have my generator working. Jeff Faust, David Livingston, Dr. Space of The Space Show. This is Hotel Mars Episode N. I'm John Batchelor.